0: Hello and welcome back, everybody. I hope you're having a good week. We're at uh, Wednesday, so we're halfway there. We're getting closer to the weekend. Uh, I appreciate everybody that watched the first video and gave uh, comments and likes and subscribed. It got a lot better reception than I anticipated, so that was really cool to see. Uh, this show I actually gave me a lot of ideas of what I wanted to go over in this, and part of it was laying out what I wanted this show to be about. So, really, what this show I want it to be is uh, to give you a front row seat at a specific investing strategy that has been thought out and researched and implemented and executed live. So you'll get a front row seat to seeing how a dividend growth investing portfolio performs in today's market. And you'll be able to compare it against the indexes and compare it against your own portfolio if you're doing something different. Um, but you'll be able to go along with the ride with me because I don't know what's going to happen. I can't see the future. You know, you guys can't either. But I'm going to give you an inside look at this specific strategy, um, and how it plays out in the future. For those of you who are not familiar with what what dividend growth investing is, uh, you're probably you're probably somewhat familiar with what dividends are and in dividend investing if you're here. But dividend growth investing is a variation of that. So if we look at normal investing, we can go here and look at stocks. Most investing strategies have to deal with growth or value. Um, Values where you look for a stock that is currently under what its intrinsic value is. And growth is a stock that the company itself is expanding into new industries, new technologies rapidly. So the most popular strategy for like the past seven, eight years has been growth by far. And it's had the best returns as well, which has made some considerable biases towards growth. Uh, You can take stocks like Amazon and Netflix, for example, as some of the best growth stocks. So if we go and look at Amazon... Uh, A typical growth strategy, you'll see uh, Amazon at $16.38 and you think, well, I bet it's going to go to $2,000 a share. So I'm going to buy as many shares as I can afford right now and wait till it gets up there at $2,000 a share. And that would be a growth strategy. And then once it gets to this point, I think it will level out, so I'll sell it. Uh, That's typically what the most popular type of investing strategy is. Dividend growth strategy is a bit different it's where instead of focusing on the specifics of your equities growing in appreciation capital appreciation all you focus on is your dividend growth meaning the money you're getting paid out on a monthly and quarterly basis your cash flow your constant returning dividends you want that to be growing you're not concerned with the capital appreciation of your companies so the thing that you're going to be tracking most of all is right over here, this dividend chart, which this is a monthly chart that tracks the dividends in my portfolio since January of 2018. And you can see considerable growth in the dividends themselves. Now, of course, a lot of this growth in the payment is because I've contributed more, but you also want the companies that are, that you're invested in to be paying you more dividends. So that's a quick summary of what dividend growth is and why it differs than normal growth strategy. Uh, and there's more to it than that, that I can go into, but that's just a really basic overview. Uh, the idea with dividend growth is if you're finding companies that are constantly growing their dividend, they're also going to appreciate with capital appreciation that will follow, but it's not the thing that you track or focus on. So that's, that's what it is in a nutshell. Um, the, uh, the thing that you're going to be able to see is this type of strategy played out live on a weekly basis. At least weekly is what I, um, have tentatively decided I wanted the, uh, the episodes or this, you know, this channel to be about. Um, so I want it to be maybe once a week on every Wednesday and I'll dive deep into what I'm doing, the the type of progress I'm seeing and how it goes, whether it goes good or not good. So uh, I have, uh, you know, I've looked around and I've seen a lot of different YouTubers on YouTube with investing and a lot of the channels, they're, they're giving kind of generic advice. They'll talk about uh, their five favorite stocks, or these are the stocks to buy for 2019, et cetera, et cetera. And I noticed that a, not a lot of them, you actually see them have anything invested. You don't know what their specific strategy is or what their performance is. And their advice kind of falls flat on me because I like to know that people are actually practicing what they preach and that um, i rather see something real than just people giving generic advice in hopes that you'll follow their advice. So with this, I'm going to actually give you advice on what I'm doing and you'll be able to see how that plays out. So I'm pretty bought into this 27,000, you know, it's almost $28,000 I have in this. That's a lot of my money. So I'm 29 years old. And uh, to me, 28,000 is a lot of money. Might not be to some people, but uh, it is for me. So you know that I'm, I'm, uh, invested in this myself personally, and I uh, am excited to see how it plays out. Uh, <clears throat> The other thing that I wanted to touch on was that each episode, I'm thinking of going over a few different things. So for this one, for instance, I wanted to go over, uh, first of all, giving you a simple portfolio update, um, and then I'm going to be responding to a Reddit comment that uh, seems to epitomize some of the arguments that Reddit makes regarding dividends. And then at the very end, what I'll do is go and answer some questions from the previous video that I put up. So first things first is the update from this week. So last Wednesday, we can go from one week and see the performance. So I'm up $73, earned $6.57 in dividends. Um, On a one-month basis, I have earned $44 and I'm up $1,000. So a lot of that's capital appreciation. Again, that's not the focus, but you can see it ebb and flow there. Um, As far as all time, with this portfolio, I have it weighted in a way where... Uh, the m- safest picks and the ones that are typically the highest yielding are towards the heaviest weighting with real estate being 33%, bonds being 20%, uh, utilities being 14 and so on and so forth. And you can see that the top ones are kind of safe picks. So utilities, bonds, and real estate. I won't say real estate's completely safe, but the ones that I have are safer than uh, mortgage companies. So if I go down the list, I can see my real estate has really been a, a good performing pie in this. Uh, I look at it and Realty Income Corp, which was my top pick going into this, just based off of this strategy alone, has been an extremely good performer where I'm up $579 on this company with only 2300 Well, I only invested in like 1800 bucks so far. So I'm up 31% on this company, pretty good return. And you notice that Realty Income Corp epitomizes dividend growth strategy, where for like 40 years, they pay monthly dividends and they've raised their dividends every single year uh, without fail. So they're really good on that, but they're also pretty expensive right now. So I'm not saying to go out and buy them right now, but they they fall along with that. On the real estate pie, you might notice a lot of different companies here and wonder why I picked these ones. I don't know the ins and outs of all of these companies. What I do know is that they're all in basically different sectors. So Realty Income Corp is real estate assets like you'd see Walgreens or Walmart these standalone buildings that are pretty big the tenants that they have have long contracts with them and historically do just fine in big recessions in in 2009 during the recession they had a 96% occupancy rate that was the lowest and usually it's above 98 LTC properties is a assisted living Simon property is a uh, I believe it's like a generic commercial real estate place that owns lots of strip malls and lots of different things. Uh, Store capital, same type of thing, high quality commercial real estate. Uh, Well Tower is, I believe it's a healthcare, I believe it's a healthcare one. So I have some in different types of commercial real estate, some in different types of healthcare. Some of them are assisted living, some of them are nursing. Um, And then if I can go... Yeah, well does healthcare portfolio of almost 1300 places so I'm trying to what I'm trying to do with this is break them up into different sectors within real estate Main Street capital Iron Mountain is a data backup REIT um, apartments is obviously residential not commercial um, uh, Nly NLA capital is um, is the only Well, these two are the ones I just added in, and they're the only two mortgage REITs that I have. So mortgage REITs, if it's an Emory, it's inherently more risky than the other ones because they they don't have as many physical assets. They have more more of their assets are actually leveraged mortgages that they have. So they use more uh, leverage, but they also have higher yields. That's why I have them at a lower percent down here. Um, I'm just kind of building up a small position with them to get that cash flow from them, that high percent yield. And I plan on holding them a long time. So... That is the real estate. Uh, That's been a, a really good performing one. One thing interesting about this portfolio and notice if I go to filter by one day, the real estate pie will be down $102 while everything else is up. And that's something you can expect is that real estate is a great counterbalance to the rest of equities. So I noticed when equities swing way up, people take their money out of real estate and put in equities and vice versa though. So when equities plummet, I'll see my real estate sometimes spike way up to counterbalance that and what it does is make for a far more consistent growth and that is the whole purpose of this portfolio is to avoid having these staggering and jarring uh, ups and downs in the market and instead have constant reoccurring consistent growth. That is the whole idea of it. So um, one thing I wanted to touch on too is I have 2700 you know, 27,850. And last week I had 25,600 and or 25,700. So I deposited $2,000 more in between that time. Uh, I typically don't put that much in every week. So that was something that I, I do maybe once a month at the beginning of the month, sometimes if I have the extra cash. Um, but when you're building up your portfolio, the biggest focus should be uh, depositing what you can, making frequent deposits, and making sure that you, you know, you've heard it before the cliche to pay yourself first, but really that's what you have to do. If I go to funding, I go and I put in these deposits every every paycheck I put in 250 and then I'll put in 2000, 1500, 1000, uh, 1000. I'll put in money that I have free at the time and then I make sure that I guard it and I don't I don't take it out for anything that's not an emergency. And I mean it has to be like an actual real emergency, not just a unplanned event. So uh, if you do that, if you have the attitude of treating your investment like a tax, like you're just paying for health insurance or car in, car insurance or something like that, something that has to be paid for, the money will add up fast. You will start building a portfolio fast. You just have to make the deposits and figure out the rest of your finances as if that money's gone out of your account that you've already paid for. It just doesn't exist. And so you'll build up a portfolio fast that way. That's what at least has worked best for me. Um. <clears throat> The other thing I wanted to touch on was I wanted to go over uh, some Reddit comments. So I'd browse, if you're like me, you go on and you browse Reddit and you browse different investing forums. I read a lot of investing books and I browse different investing forums and I browse different uh, investing subreddits like uh, Reddit personal finance and investing and stock market and Robinhood and all these different subreddits. Um, and I noticed different common trends among them. Uh, one of them, I wanted to pick out a comment here. So I saw this one. This is five days ago. So this Redditor asked thoughts on stocks that pay no dividends. And he talks about how his college professor was very against stocks that didn't pay any dividends. And he gave his explanation for why. And this Redditor was asking for other people's opinions on it. Now, I've seen lots of different threads like this. Um, so I don't mean to pick on this specific Redditor here that is the top reply, because honestly, he's not doing anything different. He's just uh, vocalizing the opinion that reddit holds on the subject like overwhelmingly so i don't mean to pick on him but i'm going to read his comment um, just to address my thoughts on it so he says dividends do not in any way affect compounding since the stock price reflects dividend payouts dividend payouts are equivalent to having a fraction of your shares automatically sell themselves without asking you there's no reason whatsoever to prefer one stock of one company to another stock based on dividends alone investing is about money you don't care whether it comes from dividends or capital appreciation. So a few things to dissect in this comment uh, that I think are, are while somewhat technically true, they're highly misleading. So I'll ignore the part where it doesn't affect count compounding because you do get compounding with capital appreciation. But let me address some other parts. Since the stock price reflects the dividend payouts, dividend payouts are equivalent to To having a fraction of your shares automatically sell themselves. Not they're similar, but he's saying they are equivalent. One-to-one, exact same thing, they get paid a dividend to sell a fraction of your share. That I totally disagree with. So let me go in and draw out something here. So let me pick out one of these drawing sites. I don't use these that often. I'm an extremely good artist, let me tell you. So here we go. So what he's saying is that there's an exact equivalency between a dividend payout and selling a fraction of a share and this is all over reddit people believe this so if i were to draw this out what i do is i'll draw out the money that a company has here is the money a company has there's whatever president and this is okay so that's the money now we have uh employees so let's draw out some employees here and these are whatever. They could be farmers or they could be lawyers and accountants and programmers and marketing people and, you know, whatever. And then a company will have, it might have real estate and, you know, it might have, that's residential or whatever. It might have commercial real estate. It might have trucks. So this is my awesome drawings of trucks. Anyways, here is a whole, a whole business, a whole organization And what its job is to do is what any business does, and it generates cash. When you are paid a dividend, let's do div, it is very difficult to draw with a mouse, okay, so when you're paid a dividend, that dividend, the payment comes from its excess cash, meaning I look at the companies that I have, and the payments have usually less than a 60% payout ratio, meaning the company generates a ton of cash, and then less than sixty percent of it is paid out in dividends, which leaves them a net cash flow of forty percent of their income. So they have plenty of income to expand and grow and do the things that they're wanting to do and reinvest, even after paying dividends. Some companies have or you know, they have a higher percentage, uh, but they're either REITs that that's their whole job is just to pay out dividends, or they have lots of debt that is usually temporary. Um if not, they're in bad shape. But the companies that I have, they have below 60% payout ratios and that means that the money i'm paid in dividends comes out of its money. Now, when you the difference between getting di- paid a dividend is is it's kind of compartmentalized. So the money comes straight from their cash supply. When you sell a share, let's do sell. You are not just selling and getting paid out the cash. What you're doing is you're, you're eroding your stake in the company. Every time you sell a share, whether it's a partial share, if you sell a percentage of your holdings in this company, whatever this company is, you're selling some of the employees, you're selling some of the the buildings and the trucking and the infrastructure that generated this cash. You are, are slowly selling your stake in this machine that is generating this cash. It's not the same. So you can take examples of this. Look at Warren Buffett with Coca-Cola. He makes 150 million a quarter in in uh dividends with Coca-Cola roughly. So billions a year. Well, 500 million, half a half a billion a year is paid out in dividends. He did not get to that place by selling Coca-Cola every quarter to fund his you know, to fund that payout. He gets it by dividends. He still owns just as much of Coca-Cola as he did in 1988 when he started buying it. Except now those dividend payments keep increasing. His stake in Coca-Cola keeps getting more valuable and those payouts keep getting bigger. If he used a strategy that this Redditor was talking about here and he said, oh, it's just equivalent to selling out of it. And he started selling, you know, 3% a year. He would have no stake in Coca-Cola anymore. He would be completely diminished his returns over time. And that's the, that's a huge difference. But it's also something that the whole of Reddit uh, is is complete disagreements with me. So I'd be interested to know your guys' opinion on that. I really think that that's not an equivalency. Uh, of course, there's companies that pay dividends when they have no business doing it. But for the most part, you can't equate it to selling part of a share and part of your stake in the company. Uh, other than that, I didn't have too much other to go over. I, I wanted to talk about uh, people's comments that they left at the last video. So let me go, okay. So here we are at my previous video and wow, 620 views. Thanks so much, guys. I can't even tell you how much I appreciate that. And I got like 50 subscribers just from that first video. So thanks again for doing that. I appreciate it. But let me get into the question. So here's the first one. It says, I uh, hope you do a lot more vids. Uh, this is from K97 says, also, could you rank some of or all your positions in terms of what you like in your opinion? And are these for the very long term? Also, if this is in, was in your Roth, do you see any issues holding any of these? Any foreign companies that would cause tax issues, please do more frequent updates. In addition, would you hold the bond section in Roth? Last, would you change these percentages as you age? Also, is this part of some kind of article? Okay, a handful of questions there, so let me go through them um could you rank the positions in terms of what you'd like Uh, an easy way to see generally what i rank the positions is you could go into the description and click on the uh my pie link and then you can just see the holdings tab and that has it ranked on just overall value uh from top to bottom but that's not necessarily what companies i like the most if i was going to go and give like my personal uh my personal companies that i like the most I really like realty income property, monthly payer, like I said, standard, uh, always increases the dividend. LTC properties is another monthly payer, provides a nice, uh, nice fluid constant return on your capital that you invest in it. Those are two I like from that. The bonds pie um, is very boring. It's just uh, a handful of investment grade and then treasury, or sorry, it's an investment grade half of it and then the rest is mixed between treasury ets and so it's doing exactly what it should do just keep its capital and make a small return uh the utilities i like all these companies so the utilities i narrowed it down to four that have really consistent records they have large market caps they pretty much have monopolies that's why they're all regulated um dominion energy is the one that services my home and they just do their thing you can't i can't switch from them so if i'm going to have to be a customer of a, a company to to live then it's probably a good idea to invest in them because they have a pretty good they have a pretty good handle on people they have a straight up monopoly um in finance these ones have been rough i actually just got into the green with them as far as your roth ira i'd probably i'd probably not invest maybe in the tax reasons with uh td royal bank of canada these are two canadian banks that I would avoid an a Roth IRA so that you can still have the zero tax implications. And maybe you can find an ETF that includes some foreign companies like this that you don't have to pay taxes, but I'm not positive on that. Uh, the rest of these, I think, are are fine. They're just large cap banks that have really good records of you know, staying fluid in different market cycles. So um, that's pretty simple. None of those are my favorite. The Really, the ones that I interact with most are probably, probably tech and consumer. So energy, I, I I started out with energy because it's a high dividend payer. I started out with it being a big portion of my pie, and I realized I don't know anything about energy companies, and I just don't care about them that much, um, especially old energy companies. So I work in solar industry, and I'm more interested in that. These companies, I know that they've invested in in renewables, but largely they're oil companies, and so. I just don't know enough about it. They're they're so cyclical too. Sometimes they'll be worth a lot. Sometimes they won't. So I really limited my exposure to it and really cut it down. Um, I kind of it just don't care to regain that much on them. I'm just using them for dividend cash flow now. So even though some of them are in the red, it's only like 35 bucks. But uh, consumer are a lot of my personal picks. So with one caveat. So here's Costco is one of my all-time favorite companies. It already... I think does so much right. It already has a membership business, really low uh, attrition rate on that. Meaning people don't cancel their memberships that often they expand really well. They already have like $15 an hour minimum wage, So that's not a threat to them. Automation is not really a threat to them. Uh, they, 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 Put their buildings in places where there's lots of homes and people that earn uh, stable careers i think it's just a great business and as long as i enjoy shopping there i'm going to keep owning that uh same type of situation home depot i can't step foot in that store without spending like 200 bucks so i either uh thought i'd buy into that one and that one has been been pretty good so far and then just down the line target nike coca-cola these are all pretty basic comcast is the only company that i'd say that i'm invested in that i actively don't like at all Uh, But again, it's a type of thing where it's literally the only option if I want high speed internet. So I feel like as long as I'm having to pay a company, whatever it wants, because they have a monopoly, I may as well make some money by the money they're paying out to their shareholders. Um, They do own some, some assets that I don't mind as much like NBC and some other things, but I really don't like their internet side of the business as far as from a consumer perspective, but you know, it's gone up 18% since I bought it and I just haven't had a reason to sell it. So I'm going to wait until, I'm going to wait until that one goes down, uh, or I'm going to wait until that one actually cuts their dividend before selling it. Um, Disney, I really love as a company, uh, total opposite, and and they have stayed pretty flat from when I bought them. They're coming out with a streaming service this year that uh, is going to be super cheap when they start, like 5 bucks a month, and they'll have a lot of Disney assets on it. I'm guessing they're going to follow the strategy of trying to get 50 million subscribers and then upping the price once they have a lot of market share. But that's something to look for. None of these companies I have a whole lot of money in. So it doesn't really matter what I rank them. I mean, it's from 170 bucks to 65 Then Estee Lauder and Texas Roadhouse. I wanted exposure to one food chain. And Texas Roadhouse is one that I decided to go with because it's always packed where I'm at, at least. So, uh, And Estee Lauder is a pretty resistant to recessions makeup company. So they're kind of one of the kings of makeup or queens, I guess. Now, tech... Um, lowest percentage. I have it set at 2%, which is totally opposite of what most portfolios would have. You know, a lot of the uh, people my age, 29 and younger, you know, 18 to 29, 18 to 30 or whatever, they have a lot of their money in tech because it's, it's taken over the world now. It just doesn't fit well with this strategy. Tech doesn't, is more of a growth play. You're looking for companies that are going to expand and take market share. Usually they have a ton of debt. They have no room for, for distributing capital. So the companies that I have are ones that are already pretty mature, like Microsoft, Apple, Visa, Broadcom, and Cisco. These are already pretty mature companies. They still have room to grow, but not nearly as if you go find a smaller tech company that's still has, you know, 2% market saturation. None of these are like that. And they pay a pretty low yield. So I believe this is the only one. It's like under 2% yield. So I try to limit my exposure to this. Um, I do want some tech exposure, but it's just not the focus of this portfolio. Tech, is so cyclical. A company that is huge today can be nothing in five to 10 years. So we've seen that happen a lot. And I think the turnover rate of big companies is less frequent in different industries like real estate. I just don't see buildings changing and evolving as much as tech does buildings and real estate just stay the same for decades. So uh, that's why I've weighted it that way is if you're invested in tech, you have to be constantly looking at your holdings and deciding when to buy and sell because the market moves really fast that way. And that is not in, that's not in conjunction with what I'm trying to do at all. So that, I hope that answers that question. Let me go back to this page we can go through a couple more of these. And are these for very long-term? Yes, these are for very long-term. Also, if you were to do a Roth issue with these holdings, like I said, the, the, Canadian banks are the only foreign ones that I have. I think Canada has a really good banking system. Other than that, I don't hold any real foreign companies. Uh, I just don't see a lot of a lot of need to when you're in the U.S. You have so many great companies in so many different sectors that there has to be something really great foreign to even look at because um, they're just added know-how of I don't live there, I don't know what they're doing. So um, other than that, please do more frequent updates. In addition, would you hold the bond section in a Roth uh, I probably would. Yeah, I, I would hold a bond section of 20% in my Roth. I know it's super long-term, but still, if you have $100,000 in your Roth, you don't need to be super ultra-aggressive. Bonds help in giving constant income. And, and there's a, I can share the link to it in the description. I, I can't think of the URL right now. But there's a chart that shows when you add 20% bonds into a portfolio, Vanguard has this, they did a study on it. And they found that 20% of bonds greatly, reduces the amount of volatility in the portfolio by only tiny, slightly reducing the performance, meaning that you get rid of these huge swings in your portfolio while only the cost of like, you know, a 1% return over a decade time or something like that. So I think it's worth it to have some of it in it. You can also just go ultra aggressive if you want, but I don't see a problem with that. Um, in it, uh, Let's see. And would you change anything on a Roth? A Roth would actually work Better for this portfolio. So, a lot of things that you pay, some of these things are what's called qualified dividends. So, if it's just like a normal company like Apple pays a dividend and you've held that company for over a six month period, you're going to get a qualified dividend, which will be taxed at capital rates gains. And then some of them, about half of mine, are probably taxed at my normal income, especially the real estate. So, when you have it on a Roth, you're not paying any taxes on any dividends. So I think dividends are great to have in a Roth IRA. I would have, if I could, this whole portfolio in a Roth IRA. The issue is, is I started this portfolio in 2008, it has $27,000 in it. So there's no way with a a cap of 5,000 that I could even get close to this contribution rate. So I'm kind of limited in the Roth and how much I can contribute. So I say you definitely could have this portfolio in a Roth IRA. If you have less money to contribute and the Roth is kind of the only thing that you're doing towards your retirement, this would be a fine portfolio um, to, to do as far as tax is concerned. The strategy and stuff, that's up to you, your own risks. But as far as taxes are concerned, this would be um, a great portfolio because you're getting paid lots of dividends that are normally heavily taxed that are, you're completely sheltered from in a Roth. One thing I'll say about real estate is, of course, you pay a higher tax. You pay just normal income tax on REITs. But part of the reason why is REITs are treated really well with taxes before you have to pay taxes on them. So they have mandatory requirements to pay out 90% of their income in tax or in dividends, and then they don't have to pay taxes. So you're really, when most companies are paying, paying all their, uh, all their taxes, REITs avoid a lot of those. So even though you pay a little bit more taxes, you got to know that it's only been taxed once that way. So it's not as bad as, as uh, people make it out to be. So what I'm trying to say, um, let's go back and look at another one. Awesome. What this is. Hey, Frank. Awesome. That you did this NOI and LNLZ. What percent did you add them in and should existing users of your PI add them or keep it how it was? So let me go to real estate and look at the exact percentages. Now, NOI put at 8% NRZ at seven. Honestly, I just decided to put them at a low percentage. So there wasn't any magical formula I put them at. I just don't want to add them in and have them be a huge percentage of my portfolio. These are both riskier companies. Like I said, they're mortgage rates, they're higher leverage, they're much higher yield. They're more likely to slash their dividends or cut them, but I treat them a little bit differently because they're mortgage rates and they're more sensitive to different market cycles. So you can add them in. I have a hard time and I wanted to, uh, this actually is a good segue to this. I wanted to address this. Should I do this or should I do that? Really with this channel, I don't want the idea to be to just replicate exactly what I'm doing because you shouldn't do that with anybody else on, on the internet. You shouldn't invest exactly in what they're investing in because if you hit rocky times or something goes wrong, you don't know hundred percent the reasons that person invested in it you don't know their risk tolerance you don't know where they are in their you know their their age and just the different things that they've taken into consideration. What I'd rather you do is learn the premise of this investing strategy and then make your own decisions on the way that you feel comfortable following it that way you can gauge things around your own investment horizon your own uh, risk that you're willing to take. And all those type of decisions, and then you own them more. So that if you hit into trouble, you don't think, "Gee, what do I do?" I just did this because this person showed me to invest in this. So obviously, I'm I think they're great companies as far as mortgage rate goes. They are large market cap and they pay well. But I'm not going to tell you to invest in them. I would just say to uh, to study this dividend growth investing premise. This strategy, and then you can come to your own conclusions on what you want to invest in, and so that goes for everybody that's following this pie and following the same thing I'm doing. So I'm no professional at this; I've just uh, self studied it and am doing the strategy and showing others to uh, for their own entertainment, really, and also to be able to. I think it's fun to have us figure out what's going to happen together. So I like the stock market. I like not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow with the stock market. You wake up and you check it, and it's just a fun thing; it keeps life interesting. So. Again, I appreciate everybody that likes and subscribes and uh, asks questions and gets involved in this. So I've gotten a lot of ideas of what I want to do, but I think, I think I'm think i going to keep it more like this, where it's one a week, longer videos, more of a simple, uh, I don't know, like a podcast, like a video podcast style. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, but you can give me your honest feedback and see what you think. I'll keep going and uh, coming out with videos if you guys like it. So thanks. Uh, I'll check in with you guys next week and uh, have a good weekend. See ya.